One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everyone, welcome to Dance Notes History. I'm just lying on my bunk taking a little break during a day of intense activity on a beautiful square-rigged wooden ship off the south coast of England. I'm here in a cabin with four people in it, four of us from Team History Hit, snoring away last night, I tell you they did, but uh, all day we're filming on this wonderful tall ship, making a programme, not about Nelson, no, there's too many programmes about him, about the men of his fleet, and some women in fact, the men and women of Nelson's fleet, who collectively made Britain the most dominant maritime force the world had ever known. We're doing that because uh, later this month is the anniversary of Trafalgar. I'll be releasing this program on historyhit.tv. Please do check it out. It's like Netflix for history, lots of wonderful history documentaries. And I will also be doing a special podcast on the Battle of Trafalgar. Now, usually I do these introductions and I say this has nothing to do with the content of this podcast. But I'm thrilled to say it does have something to do with the content of this podcast because while the Royal Navy was smashing the French and Spanish in the early years of the 19th century, it was also guarding Britain's merchant ships that were carrying enslaved Africans to plantations in the New World and bringing back the sugar, the produce of those plantations, back to Europe. Happily, just a couple of years after Trafalgar, the slave trade was abolished and those same naval ships found themselves in the position of having to suppress that trade, now illegal, in enslaved Africans. Slavery is being talked about everywhere at the moment. It feels like we're having a reappraisal of Britain and other European nations' roles in the transatlantic slave trade. And the, my guest on the podcast today has been part of that reappraisal. She is the excellent Moya Lothian McLean, with a very particular personal story that connects her to that trade in enslaved Africans and owning enslaved Africans. And she has got a new podcast series out on the slave trade, and slavery itself. And I want to catch up with her and see what she learned. It was a great pleasure talking to her. She's a new talent on the scene. She's a new bright star in the ferment, and it was great to get her on the podcast. So everyone enjoy this wonderful podcast with Moya, and go and subscribe to historyhit.tv. Moya, great to have you on the pod. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, first of all, let's just start because your new project is so interesting, but I'm really interested in your personal connection. Just like I'm a product of the Atlantic world, my Anglo-Canadianness, what about you? Okay, so my background is quite interesting. It's something that I hadn't really thought about until recently properly and this project is part of that. So I'm mixed race black. My dad is Jamaican or was Jamaican rather. And my mum is white British. So my dad left when I was quite young and then proceeded to promptly die, which was <laughs> very rude when you're trying to discover things about your history. So the history I have from that side of my family has been handed down both orally and secondhand. So when I got the call to be like, oh, we're starting this new podcast from Broccoli and it's about slavery. Are you interested potentially in, you know, A, history and B, this particular history? I was like, yes, 
one, because I did history at university, I've always been so fascinated by history, but two, because I had this personal connection where I haven't really got much insight into the black side, the Jamaican side of my family. My Lothian I know is from my dad. There are lots of Lothians in Jamaica. It's the fifth highest incidence of the surname uh, in the world. And the other countries are all ex-British colonies. So you do the math. I think it was 1.32% of slave owners in Jamaica were Scottish. So there's that side of it. And other things I've been told is that my paternal grandma was descended from the Maroons, which is the name they had for the slaves who resisted and escaped and went off and lived in the mountains. And I think there was a white Scottish great-grandfather also on my paternal grandma's side who'd clearly gone to Jamaica as part of that sort of colonial migration and plantation society. So when I was asked if I wanted to be involved with this podcast, as I said, I thought it'd be a really good chance to dig up some of my social history. If I can't access my personal history through my father and track down those routes, I thought, okay, well, what's the next best thing? Discovering this history in general, exploring the hidden history of slavery and plantation society and how it both impacts the family that I have in Jamaica and would have impacted my white British ancestors here. And I didn't quite realise how relevant it would be to me, honestly. Like some of the interviews we've done have been so, so close to home. And the second season, which we're working on now, I'm not afraid to say that there's been several interviews where I've ended up crying in them because they've got so close to my own personal history. I mean, they've been so sort of emotional going on that journey, especially when we got, to, we're doing a lot right now on Scotland, which I'm very excited for people to hear about. But looking into the history of Scottish migration and connecting it to my own history was very affecting. I'm afraid, let's go there, because you opened the door there. And I have let's to walk go through there. that door. <laughs> what aspects of it in particular, what were you able to find out? So obviously, like, I can't pin down exactly where the loathing comes from at this stage because I'm not a genealogist. I'm not quite, um, not yet famous enough to be on Who Do You Think You Are? Um, so I think it was that I was hearing stories about either mixed race children who were brought back to Scotland for their education. A lot of Scottish people who were involved in either slave owning or went over as overseers, they would have these mixed race children. They would bring them back to Scotland. The experiences of those children was just so fascinating to me. These lives were brought into such colour in a way that I hadn't heard about the sort of enslaved lives because I can trace my white ancestors quite easily we've got a big family tree going that far back but when you're tracing your history of your black side especially if you're descended from slaves it is really really difficult it's what I call a black hole so hearing about the lives of sort of mixed race children it felt very parallel to things I'd experienced but also just hearing about these people these young men particularly who went over from Scotland because it was primarily young men and they often went over as part of this colonial migration project because they really embraced, even when Scotland had this fierce sense of independence, there was a real embrace of what the British Empire had to offer after the Union. So they would go over to places like Jamaica and Grenada and they would come back and they'd have either mixed race children or I just imagined it in connection to my own life and I imagined, you know, the roots of my family name Lothian starting from that. And I suddenly had this, I would call it almost, I guess I can't ever have insight, insight into the lives of enslaved people, but it suddenly brought the lives of my ancestors into such sharp focus. It just felt so emotional. It was a lot of pain because hearing about people's lives who were enslaved, it really drains you. But also I felt like almost proud that I got to uncover this history and I got to sort of honour them in that way when I couldn't go back and like know exactly who my great-great-grandmother was or what her daily life was like on a plantation. So in that sense, it was very, very affecting. And also just, I think, anything connected to identity and discovering more of who you are is extremely impactful. And I hope that's been something that 
audience members will have taken as well, especially if they are descended from slaves, but also if they're descended from white British people who are involved in this plantation society. There's a quote in the first episode that I insisted on including, <laughs> which is from Bob Marley, uh, who was also a mixed race Jamaican. And it's, if you don't know your history, you don't know where you're coming from. And I say, I don't know where I'm coming from. I don't know where I'm going to. Because when you haven't got that part of your history, you haven't got that part of grounding in yourself. And I do think it feels like you're unmoored. You don't know where you sit. So in that sense, to get back to just Scotland particularly, I hadn't thought much about my Scottish side. I just had always been like, yeah, I've got two Scottish names. But suddenly, this is why I have two Scottish names. This is where it's come from. This is how it fits into this wider pattern of history. And I think fitting yourself into a social history as well is really, really like impactful. Every time I read new books about slave trade or listen to podcasts like yours, I'm just struck by the tentacles that reached into parts of Britain that we don't think of as being connected with the slave trade. And you've got some pretty stunning examples. I mean, that seems to be one of the things that you guys really went out hard to try and connect up the dots. Just give me, you know, whether it's Newton or whatever it is, give me some of those examples. Yeah, of course. So I think one of my favourites is probably the Newton example. We use Newton as a jumping off point to look, Isaac Newton, that is, to look at how the plantation society impacted on scientific development. So we looked at Newton and his theory of gravity. And one of the things we looked at was how he got the data to prove that. And he used slave colonies. He used data from slave colonies such as Martinique and Virginia because we have this idea of science existing in a vacuum. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. Science is rational, but only as rational as the society it's produced by. So scientific development was very, very entwined with plantation society and colonies. And it goes from things to like collecting samples for Kew Gardens or, you know, the naturists who went out and got all these samples to things like gynecology. Lots of medical knowledge we have about gynecology comes from plantation societies, particularly developments in America. So that was one of the stories that I was like, this is going to ground people. This is going to make them look at their everyday lives and the things they take for granted and the, you know, the theories we have that they see as siloed off from the slave trade or plantation societies and they'd be like oh I see how this entwines and there was another one we did on Welsh cloth which was potentially I don't know if you can have a favorite story about say plantation societies but it's about this cloth that was we discovered in the 1700s in Wales there were these farming communities in sort of mid Wales like Merthyrshire which is now Powys and they were producing this cloth and it was this very thick hard wool and this cloth had another name. It was called Negro cloth because it was sent out to the plantations for the enslaved populations to wear. And we saw that these farming communities, for a brief time, the mortality rate of their children went down because their fortunes had increased a bit because of this cloth that was being sold by very ordinary Welsh labourers. And it really contradicted the mainstream impression of the slave trade as we just have these plantation owners and these elites who benefit from the slave trade and all the money went into the banks, etc. And these beautiful buildings that we see in our cities and that's what the slave trade is. But it wasn't. The slave trade went right down to the ordinary working people. It was a society. It was a plantation society. I find when I make programmes and write about things, I actually end up feeling like I know less than I did when I started. It just makes me confused and clouded. How did you feel going through this project? I mean, you start, you go, slavery is the most evil thing on earth. And then when you read things like that, how does it change your thinking? Does it reinforce your thinking? Where are you now? Where are you on this stuff? Where am I? It's a good question. Well, we're still midway through seasons two and three. So there's a lot more of this project to go. But I think probably the overwhelming thing that I've discovered is maybe like nuance. I don't know if that's quite the right word to apply because the slave trade was one of those barbaric things ever. And the more I discover about it, 
the scale of it was incredible. I did an episode recently on the Portuguese slave trade and the amount of slaves that were shipped to Brazil from Africa was the same amount of people who live in Scotland today. So when you get scales like that, you're like, oh my goodness. But it reminded me that everything happens within its context and that we can never be complacent enough to assume that something that barbaric wouldn't happen again. Because if the context is there and if we create the conditions for it and the profit motives and we justify it in so many different ways, it can very easily happen. One of the things about the slave trade and this story about slavery is looking at the different empires that were involved in their own individual slave trade, such as the Portuguese, the British, and the different ways they came up with justifying it. So the Portuguese empire, Catholicism was often used to sort of justify the slave trade and it was almost like a salvation thing. Whereas in Britain, we obviously invented these racial codes and started codifying people as black or white. Blackness came into being and the idea of being white came into being through the slave trade, through things like the Barbados slave codes, the Virginia slave codes, race as a construct which really we're talking about ethnicity, but they call it race. Race as a construct came into being through the slave trade. And I think what it's taught me is that we can justify anything if we try hard enough. Um, And we can never, never be so arrogant as to think that we won't slip into those things again just because, you know, we're in a different time in history because history is not linear. History is very sort of choppy. And I think what it's taught me as well is that there's always another story to tell about something we assume we know. You're listening to Dan Snow's History Hit. We're talking about slavery. More coming up. Ancient history fans, this is our moment. Subscribe to The Ancients now to get your weekly goodness of ancient history. We've got the big topics. So through this material, we're actually looking at this entangled sum of hundreds and thousands, in fact, of stories of life across ancient Eurasia. We've got the big names. The Romans, of course, become so powerful and the Romans conquer the whole of the Mediterranean world. And Hannibal was the one who challenged the Romans the most. We've got the big discoveries. And these are the only surviving boxing gloves from the Roman Empire. And we even have some groundbreaking new archaeological detective stories. Baths of Cleopatra. I had never come across any such thing before. Subscribe to The Ancients on History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. How did Hitler's sexuality shape his worldview? Why did the Black Death lead to the rise of the witch trials? And what are some of the sauciest scandals involving kings and queens at Hampton Court? I don't know about you, but this is the history I want to hear about. If you do too, then join me, Kate Lister, every Tuesday and Friday to find out the answers to all of these questions and more. Listen to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by History Hit. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, the key lessons that I always take from this is like, if you can see good Christian, even progressive people like Gladstone supporting the slave trade at the beginning of his career, then rather than condemning them, what that makes me think is I turn that kind of spotlight on myself and think, well, of course, because I'm the one driving a car around in the middle of a climate crisis. Mm. I'm the one buying from China when there's genocide going on in Western China. Like, So actually, I think that's right. I think that's why history makes... Well, it's always a conversation with the present, but that's what it makes me think. Coming back to your work, we're in the middle of a national conversation at the moment about slavery. A lot of Brits get very upset when we're talking about slavery. You're making people feel less good about the history of this country. And what do you say to that? What's your kind of response? Because you're now part of this conversation. Mm, well, <laughs> that's a very funny thing to think that I'm part of that conversation. My response to that, that people think that by talking about these histories, they're making themselves feel less good about the country is we've got enough already that makes you feel less good about the history of Britain. Even if you're just looking domestically, if you just want your focus, you want to ignore the entire British Empire, you want to just look domestically. There is so much in our history that's unsavory, that doesn't make you feel good about being British. We've got massacres, you know, you've got Peterloo, you've got all kinds of put downs of the population rising up against horrible leaders and you've got um, Henry VIII burning down all the churches and you know, our own versions of inquisitions. So I think it's obviously much deeper than that. When they're talking about this makes me feel less good about the history of Britain. What they're talking about, I think, is that they feel it's almost a foreign history, that they feel it's not connected to Britain because it happened far away as far as they're concerned. It wasn't located on these shores and it involved millions of people who were black and people still other blackness in the UK and see it as almost a foreign thing. They don't see it as British history. That's the problem. That's what makes them feel less good about Britain. It's because they don't see it as British history. But it is. That's one of the things we wanted to do with this podcast. And Renee, who is the CEO of Broccoli Content, who makes the podcast, and it was her vision to do this podcast. From the very beginning, she said, this has to be not just black British history. This is British history. And we were very strident on the fact we didn't want to put out during Black History Month, because otherwise people would just see it as a sort of token project, as opposed to being a history project, a history documentary series about all of our history. So yeah, speaking of which, like names, things we're all so familiar with. And statues, of course, we've got James II statues around the place, head of the Royal African Company. But I mean, let's take Lady Hawkins School that you talk about in Herefordshire. Was she Sir John Hawkins's wife or descendant or... Yeah, so Lady Hawkins School is a school located in my home county of Herefordshire. And when I was growing up, people were like, oh yeah, that's the slave school, that's the slave school. And I was like, what's that mean? And Lady Hawkins was the second wife of Sir John Hawkins, who's called the father of the English slave trade. He was a favourite of Queen Elizabeth. His coat of arms was actually, by the end of his life, a bound enslaved African with clasped hands. So very, very savoury. And this school was the point where I wanted to start the podcast from. One, because it was so close to home, literally. And two, because it's located in a place where people would never really bring the slavery story home. And one of the key things is like, this is a hidden history and it affects every sort of inch of this country. And also what it did was it brought up the nuances 
when you're talking about slavery history. People often think you just follow the money. So, for example, Lady Hawkins bequeathed this school after her death with money left in her will. And we have no way of knowing if that money is related to Sir John Hawkins. We don't know if he left her like this amount of cash, which I think was something like quarter of a mil in today's currency. Quarter of a mil cash being like, you got to set up a school once you're dead, because that probably didn't happen. But what it does is bears his name through her because she took his name. It's now on that school. It's forever. And the school was very proud of their connections to Sir John Hawkins because the head of history wrote in, I think, 2008, a big thing for the BBC about it being a school connected to slavery. But then after the Black Lives Matter movement, we started being like, hmm, maybe this isn't great that we've got all these places named after people connected to slavery. Suddenly, no, 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 no. We have no, there was a big denial on the part of the school that it was connected in the same ways they'd previously affirmed. And I feel that that's the wrong way to deal with things. I think addressing history and confronting it and looking at it in all its complexities is the only way to sort of come to terms with it rather than suppressing it. Which I know people have said that about, you know, we can't have statues or we shouldn't have schools named after it. And I do think that things like statues, which are a celebration, are something that we should probably reconsider or recontextualize or put explainers on. I think Liverpool's doing this brilliant thing where they are putting little noses around the city with ways you can go further into the history of street names that are named after people who were heavily involved in the slave trade. So things like that, recontextualizing, reframing, And giving more information is, I think, the key to coming to terms with history. So I'm not completely 100% on the renaming, but I'm also not completely, we shouldn't take down statues, we shouldn't rename things. It's weird for me, because I've got this little strange thing that I'll tell you, I guess I'm telling everybody now, which is that my kids are obsessed with Sir Francis Drake. I tell them about the first Englishman to sit around the world. And we went to see the Golden Hind in London. They love going abroad and everything. And then when they can't sleep at night, what I tell them to do is just for some reason we slipped into this weird thing. It started on a plane journey. I would tell <laughs> I told my daughter the story of bizarrely, Sir Francis Drake that sings in the King of Spain's beard in Cadiz before the Spanish Armada. Anyway, she's bloodthirsty. She loves that story. And it made her go to sleep instantly. So now we have a joke. Whenever you know you can't go to sleep, you think about Sir Francis Drake sailing and the waves crashing over his bows as they're going through the Pacific for the first time. And I'm realizing that I'm giving my kids like this happy, safe memory of a guy who was instantly connected with the slave trade. They're going to grow up and be like, my dad was a total psychopath. What is the answer to this problem we got here, Moya? I'm coming to you. I need help. Um, Well, they can always listen to your podcast when they're ready. So unless they already don't or already do. They certainly don't. We can contextualize it and I can provide more context, I guess. I have a good friend who is um, black, British, West African, British, and he went back to West Africa to make a pro about slave trade, and he discovered his ancestors were people who sold slaves. And it's interesting for you because you have this mixed heritage, so you've got this, like, literally, this contradiction lives within you, right? It's weird. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know for sure, like, exactly what my white ancestors were up to, although on my Jamaican side, I'm sure that when there was white mixed in, there was probably up to no good. But... (sighs) It's interesting. I think also it does speak to, again, a lack of understanding about the mechanisms of the slave trade because there were plenty of black African people in West Africa who were involved in the slave trade, who sold slaves. Slavery is a very, very old trade. It was around before the transatlantic slave trade. The transatlantic slave trade simply codified it into sort of majority white people enslaving black Africans and took it up a level. They scaled it up, basically, which is what all capitalism does. They invented capitalism with like, let's immediately expand. So I think when you're dealing with these contradictions, 
all of history is a contradiction. There's so many contradictions in history. If you can't deal with contradictions throughout history, then you shouldn't be looking at history and studying history. You have to be prepared for complexities. You have to be prepared to be challenged. You have to be prepared to put aside the narratives you think you know. And you can still hold something like slavery was mostly perpetuated by white people and it was the most barbaric thing while still understanding that black Africans were involved in the slave trade and very happily involved in the slave trade and especially elite black Africans would sell other Africans. You'd either be captured as part of war or if you're poor, sometimes you'd just be abducted and taken. And that was something that happened. And we have to learn to deal with that and not just codify it through a contemporary lens where we're like, okay, white is a fixed category and black is a fixed category and not understanding that those things are flexible and changed. And race is a relatively recent invention as well. Well, it's 400 years old. Before we finish, talk to me about Cadbury's because obviously the chocolate, I mean, where's the harm in Cadbury's? But obviously that's just a great example of a brand, such a prominent part of British life that has got this hidden history. Yeah, well, Cadbury's, I mean, we know it's now owned by an American company. So the actual problem in Cadbury's is that they changed the formula. It tastes shit now. But um, the real... Truth. Truth. <laughs> no, the thing about Cadbury's was very interesting. So William Cadbury, um, they were all Quakers. They were opposed to the slave trade. However, for a period of about nine years, they kept getting their cocoa from Saltome, which was a Portuguese plantation. Slavery, although it was technically abolished, hadn't really been abolished. It was very much still a slave plantation. You had people working there for their entire lives. Then it would pass on to their children. And the Capri's were aware of this and opposed it. However, they didn't stop buying their beans from there until they could find a new supplier, which I think is a very succinct sort of demonstration of where priorities lie. You can have good intentions, but if the profits are threatened, your good intentions will be put off until you've sorted that bit out first. But Capri's is really just a jumping off point to look at things like, in general, chocolate, because the history of chocolate is very deeply bound up with slavery. Sugar, for example, until that became shipped in in mass quantities and exported from slave colonies, chocolate didn't become the chocolate we know. So it's all part and sugar. You know, I think Cuba was one of the premier, which was a huge slave colony, which the Irish were very involved in, a story that we're doing in the second season. So listen out for that. Yeah, sugar was a huge exportation from slave colonies. And it's all these things, when you really deep it, when you look at the scope of it, you think everything is bound up in it because it was a society, a plantation society. It wasn't just this atomized thing that existed over there and then it stopped. It's like it built and shaped the society as we know it. And once you come to terms with that, the history starts threatening you a lot less once you realize that. Yeah, I agree. I learned yesterday that the Saint-Domingue, which is a part of one Caribbean island, had the same value of trade just before the French Revolution as the USA. <laughs> Unbelievable. That is also big news to me. But yeah, that's as much it was worth. These places were profit makers and it impacted everything from our railways to the way medicines run, like the way scientific development went. And digging into those histories has been so illuminating. And I hope people have found that that listen. Well, hey, how can more people listen? How can more people listen? You can listen, I think, most places you get your podcasts. If you go to podfollow.com slash human resources, it will take you to your favorite podcast app and we'll be there. But otherwise, Spotify, Apple, anywhere, really. You can also go to our website. Great one, dude. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I feel the history upon our shoulders. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished. 
Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Dan Snow's History. I really appreciate listening to this podcast. I love doing these podcasts. It's a highlight of my career. It's the best thing I've ever done. And your support, your listening is obviously crucial for that project. If you did feel like doing me a favor, if you go to wherever you get your podcasts and give it a review, give it a rating, obviously a good one, ideally, then that would be fantastic and feel free to share it. We obviously depend on listeners, depend on more and more people finding out about it, depend on good reviews to keep the listeners coming in. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code Snow at checkout.